1: dirt rally friends and a very happy new year to you all so spin the rally pod have to start off by saying thank you very much to all of you for coming along on the journey with us in the past oh how long has it been nine months ten months or so since we did our first spin at the rally pod it's been an awful lot of fun we've covered a lot of topics haven't we we've talked a lot myself george david and lisa we've discussed we've debated we've argued perhaps at times as well but the most important thing is we have been talking rally Uh, and as we all know rallying is the greatest sport in the world and one of the greatest privileges is to be able to share our thoughts with you the spin the rally pod audience so a very special one to kick off the new year as we all know One of the most divisive issues in motorsport right now is alternative propulsion. Where are we going? Are we going electric? Are we going hydrogen? Are we going some other type of propulsion system that we're yet to hear about? Who knows? What is very, very clear, though, is that things are changing. It is the speed of that change. It is how far that change goes that is scaring a lot of people, that is worrying a lot of people. To be fair, in terms of the future for our sport and the future for rallying, now the WRC, as we well know, in 2022 goes with new regulations. We're going with the hybrid WRC cars. Is that enough? Well, for a lot of people, it's a not. It's not enough. For some people, it's too much. As you can see, it's difficult, isn't it, to get consensus to please everyone. You know, we have to look at where other motorsport is heading. Extreme looks very, very exciting indeed. Seems to have got an awful lot of the factors, the elements in place to make it attractive to the audience, maybe crucially attractive to the sponsors, attractive to the manufacturers. Dakar, you know, we're hearing that perhaps within the next year or two, we will have Dakar competitors running on alternative propulsion. Now, they're doing the length, more than the length, of a world rally championship event each day of dakar are we potentially going to be left behind well we thought we'd ask the experts so we talked to david richards who as you all know has been instrumental in shaping the way that rallying looks these days as head of Prodrive, now also head of motorsport uk david richards always a man worth listening to. We also caught up with Gerard Quinn. Gerard was responsible for motorsport for Ford of Europe for well over a decade. And his views well when Gerard talks you should listen. He is the man that was writing the checks as a manufacturer that kept Ford in the World Rally Championship for decades. And his views on relevance are very, very interesting indeed. And we caught up with Hayden Paddon. Hayden Paddon are well, one of the best rally drivers in the world, no question about that. He's moved in a slightly different direction these days. He's developing his own electric rally car and what Hayden and his young, enthusiastic and extremely talented team are doing way down on the other side of the world in New Zealand is quite extraordinary. Have a listen, folks. Keep an open mind. See what you think. Most importantly, let us know your views on the way the World Rally Championship. And rallying in general is heading. Have the views of David, of Gerard, of Hayden, have they changed your mind? They certainly changed mine a little bit. Here we go, folks. Enjoy our first Spin the Rally pod of 2021. Hayden Padden, it is fantastic
2: to have you with us.
1: It's a while since we talked to you.
2: Yeah, thanks, Cole. It's certainly been a while, so uh, good to hear you again.
1: Yeah, so listen, you know, we are, we are talking on this, this special podcast about the future of rallying, where we think rallying might be in five years' time, in 10 years' time. Um, you guys are not waiting around, are you? You haven't waited for direction from the FIA or from anyone else. You have really grasped the nettle, and you've, you've gone on to do your own thing. Tell us a little bit about how your project with, with Hyundai and the Kona came about, Hayden.
2: Yeah, I guess there's, there's quite a few factors in what we're doing and, and obviously one of the first and foremost is, you know, down here in New Zealand we're not tied um, with a whole lot of rules and regulations as there is in, within FIA and within championships, uh, which you can understand because there's a lot of parties to keep happy, but, you know, down here we've we've got a bit of a, a blank canvas that we can work from um, to showcase a bit of innovation and, and I guess it all branched from, you know, I started the idea um, or pitched the idea uh, back in 2017 actually, um, and was working on it in the background uh, for 18 months um, even while I was still competing in the WRC and then um, of course once that sort of come to an abrupt end uh, that we weren't uh, expecting uh, it sort of had lit the fire inside me to go hey look well I'm not done yet and I've still got more to give um, and we want to go back with the Kiwi team in the future and to do that what's the sport going to look like in 5 or 10 years time and you know become very apparent from those discussions between myself and people around me um, that it had to involve alternative energy. Um, otherwise, we're going to get left behind. So, we've taken the opportunity to get a bit of a jump start. And, um, you know, we're a small team on the other side of the world, so we've got a few things stacked against us. But we'll take whatever, whatever opportunity we can to, to try and uh, get, a, as I say, a bit of a, a jump start on everyone else. It's it's
1: not something that's held you back in the past, is it, Hayden? You know the, the the fact that you are on the other side of the world, and as you rightly say, things are stacked against you. It it, it almost seems to drive you on, doesn't it? That that you know that the fact that it, it isn't easy and it's never going to be easy, and that you're never going to have things perhaps done in a straightforward kind of way. You're always going to have to do things a little differently, and um, you know it's, it's quite a motivating factor for you, I guess
2: yeah definitely like it's always been my life and, and there's a lot of people in our sport who you know it's, it means just as much to them as what it does to me but you know rallying for me is life it's it's not just a sport or a hobby so therefore you know that's why you have to sometimes take a step back and look at it and look at the big picture and go well, you know what what's where's it actually going to go and what's it going to look like in the future and um you know i'm as much of a petrolhead as anyone else and it took me a bit to grasp the idea about ev but at the end of the day it's um the decision I made was the future of the sport has to go where the automotive industry is going. And if it doesn't, the sport disappears at uh, that top level. And I simply just love driving and I, and I love going fast too much. Um, and, you know, the, the little side topics about noise and all that stuff is just completely irrelevant when we're talking about the survival of our sport.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And listen, the, the noise thing is—you know—we we, we all play PlayStation games. We all play, um, uh, you know, when the when people of my age used to play Sega Rally, and and the noise that came out of those machines was fantastic, <laughs> and it sounded you know completely it's, authentic. And that was twenty, thinking, thirty years ago. So, uh, you know, nice. I, I think noise simulation is is not a massive issue. I think it's something that we will, um, uh, you know, it's it's, it's 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 not a primary concern. I don't think. I think the primary concern to create a car that's a safe and b has the uh, the ability to compete on a decent length of rally now, now how how close are you to those two two objectives
2: uh well i think and i think there's obviously another element to that as well as the entertainment value you know obviously at the end of the day manufacturers are using sport to showcase that their cars have got a cool factor um so therefore having them be fast be spectacular uh, that's a given. I think with this with this technology, they're going to be even faster and even more spectacular. Um, and like you say, say the sound is, if anything, it's just an excuse at the moment. Um, there'll be ways for that to develop. But yeah, I think it's it's hugely exciting the opportunities that this sort of technology presents. And um, yeah, we've just got to get on the on the bandwagon early. We 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 can't fight where the industry's going. going. Um, so instead of fight it, let's actually join it and actually use it as an opportunity to create some some new uh, exciting cars you know you have created an exciting car and a new car and we've seen it running we saw
1: it running just a few weeks ago in in auckland uh on a demonstration run what are you targeting hayden in, ter- in terms of you know, your time frame to develop a battery that that allows you to compete across a distance of a rally what is the target you know what is the target the initial target in terms of how how much life you're going to get out of the battery and how long it's going to take you to get there
2: yeah, definitely, yeah. Sorry, I must have part of your last question. That's uh, right. No, don't worry. We're, we're, hoping, we're, we're, we're hoping we'll be there within uh, 12 months. Um, how, 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 the how many kilometers? We be so we're looking at doing uh, battery changes. I'm um, focused. I think that's the way forward to, to be changing batteries. So midday service, you have one battery that does half a day. You'll get to the midday service. You'll swap out the battery. Um, in our car, we've designed it that you can change a battery within five minutes. Um, wow. So absolutely no different to if you go to service and you've got to fill up with fuel. Instead of filling up with fuel, you're filling up your battery and you're going to change your battery. Um, obviously, there's a whole lot of technology around fast charging and, and the charging systems, but I think that's one, it's another complication, and two, uh, a lot of the danger around EV technology at the moment is during the charging process. So take that away at the moment. Um, obviously, that's all going to develop and change, but just take that out of the equation, use the things that we can control. The big batteries, we're trying to work out the solution to that now. Um, Part of that process is uh, at the moment we have a prototype battery in the car. And the beauty of this technology is that we actually have to simulate now every single condition uh, because unlike a combustion car, the amount of energy that's used in this car um, varies quite quite hugely between different conditions, different weather, different temperatures. Mm. So we've got to simulate all of that and then actually then put that into our software to calculate what the overall size of the battery needs to be to the a rally but I think there's also another interesting factor there is that while the cars need to come to the sport in my mind there's an element where the sport needs to come to the cars a little bit and, and I hate to say that but with the technology that exists as it does now um, it will not work if you have 200 kilometre road sections to go from service parks to stages to yeah. then go 200 kilometres back to service park that won't work um, you know there has to be option or has to be ways to work around that whether it be transporting cars on those long long road sections or just simply getting rid of those long road sections. And that's the beauty of New Zealand here. Like the longest road sections we get here on rallies is 30, 40 kilometers. Um, mm. So our rallies here are a lot more compact, which is why it suits what we're trying to do at the moment.
1: I, I'm absolutely loving what I'm hearing. I mean, it,
2: it's, you're so
1: right. You are so right. The sport has to evolve and the sport does have to evolve to suit the technology because you know, In the UK, for example, last week the UK government announced that by 2030, so in 10 years' time, it, it, there will be no new combustion engines, ICE internal combustion engines sold in the UK. They must be phased out within 10 years. You know, it's, it's ludicrous to think that in 10 years' time, it'll still be okay at the top level of the sport to be running around with, um, you know, with, with internal combustion engines. It's ludicrous to think that, and we have to prepare, and the sport will have to change. Uh, that that is absolutely for sure and and you know how, how much resistance are you finding from within the sport to these ideas? because to me you know you you are setting the agenda here, but that that, that, that won't go
2: down well with certain people uh, no there's definitely resistance. I, I must say here in New Zealand that's actually we've got a lot of support behind what we're doing, which has um, surprised me is a very nice surprise, but yeah it's great to have the amount of support we do have um, here in New Zealand. Yeah, globally, there's there's a bit of um, backlash. Um, but, you know, it's, in my mind, it's, it's very, very simple that at the end of the day, if we want to see rally cars in whatever format they are, um, if we want to see cars going fast and grab all the most spectacular format of motorsport that there is in the world, then there is simply no other option. We, we can't fight where the industry is going. We can't fight where the governments are taking it all. We have to adapt. It's as simple as that. So... Um, and, and, on, and on the other side of that, I think there's also, also and, and this is the one thing, interestingly enough, that I've been finding so far with this project, is that there's actually a, a bigger group of people outside of diehard rally fans that actually love EV. They love the, the different aspects of the sport it brings. And, um, you know, particularly here in New Zealand, like motorsport and rallying is not huge. Yeah, and, you know, there's other sports that are much bigger. And all of a sudden we've opened up another um, audience to right. the sport because of the technology, because of the car. I think you're absolutely right.
1: I think you're absolutely right. I think, you know, where we may lose the odd diehard fan, we will gain, we will gain a new audience. Uh, A technology fan, as opposed to a rally fan, perhaps, uh, you know, uh, fan base. It it is very, very interesting, your approach. Hayden, tell me a little bit about your team. Your your team fascinates me. What what, what I love, a lot of people will say it's impossible with, with youngsters to do anything, but what I love about young, energetic, intelligent lads and lasses, clearly, is that they're not they're not they're not restricted. They're not restricted by the mistakes of the past. They're not restricted by the cynicism and scepticism of of failures of the past. They, they're just full of energy and bright ideas. To me, from what I can see of
2: your team, that is your team down there. They're, they're an incredible bunch. Yeah, I'm really lucky to have a real good group of guys with us, and um, uh, it's, it's a little bit demoralising that I'm one of the oldest ones in the team. Uh, I'm only in my early thirties, and uh, and I'm looking down at these other guys age-wise, but. Um, but that's got its benefits as well like when we started this you know i went out and headhunted the people that we wanted and and when you sat down there should go right we need some people who got some experience in ev uh you had a brick wall straight away because there wasn't really anyone around in the industry that had experience with ev um but the universities were already studying it they were already building ev sae race cars and bits and pieces so um we went through the universities and and found a few people and um yeah, the, the type of guys that we've got on board in the project are the guys that their eyes absolutely light up when you say EV to them, um, like you and I, if we're talking about combustion engines, for example. So, um, yeah, it was all about having the right people around, it, around you and we've got seven really, really good guys, their heart and souls into this project and, and they believe in it just as much as what I do. Incredible. Incredible bunch. So uh, you
1: tell me, Aiden, where are you just now? Where are you? Where where do you find yourself? I suppose you're a little bit of a crossroads, aren't you? You know, there's a lot of people, myself included, who still feel that there's a job that you can do at the very highest level of the sport. But what are you now? Are you a um, a tech innovator? Are you a team boss? Are you a driver? (laughs) Where, Where do you find yourself sitting? Are you all three? I don't know.
2: Uh, I'll, I'll probably just say a Jack of all trades at the moment So, um, uh, I, you know, obviously I still love driving And um, don't feel like I'm getting any slower just yet So, uh, yeah, haven't given up on that side of things And um, But very focused on what we're doing here with, with the business And with trying to get this project going You know, I've essentially put all my eggs in one basket And, you know, I'm not in the business of building cars Or selling cars or anything at the moment um, We're at the business of building a team uh, A business of winning uh, and, and you know this car and what we 're doing right now is is more about really making a statement um, because I feel that like our sport is going to have some big problems uh, in the very near future, and you know i 'm trying to put our line in the sand and go, "Hey, look, we need to do something. It is possible to do something, look at what we 're doing uh, and try and allow that to help maybe see some changes overseas because obviously us alone as a small team on the other side of the world we can 't make changes, um, but we can make statements. Why well, you're making a huge statement? I'd have to say, interest me. You say
1: you're not in the business of building cars, but you know you you are you are making statements. You are showing a lot of more established uh, preparation companies, whatever you want to call them. Uh, you know you're showing what's possible. But but what what is the ultimate aim? Just to build this car and say this is possible? Someone else go off and do it, or, or do you want to do it from New Zealand? Do you want to build the cars? Is it is it ultimately is it a one-make series? Is it? What is it? What is it you're ultimately aiming for with this car, other than saying we can do this in New Zealand?
2: Well, the the ultimate aim, what, what I'm trying to do here, is is basically create the Team New Zealand of yachting, which is obviously quite big in the America's Cup and, and here in New Zealand, and but to do the same in motorsport, you know, we want to try and create that Team New Zealand of motorsport. Uh, you know, it's my 10-year vision that we create our own team uh, that travels the world we go out and win world championships uh, whatever form of motorsport that's in that's suitable um, for what we can achieve um, and this is the first part of that um, piece of that puzzle so and part of that has been a technology solutions provider for motorsport um, and whatever that may be so you know that may mean we want to work with people and, and try and find solutions uh, engineer solutions um, so there's two sides there's the sporting side of what we're doing which is very much to create a a world team that competes around the world. And then, of course, we've got to have the business model of that to support that, to help make that possible. And the business model is very much focused around um, help us helping the sport, helping other teams, helping people um, engineer solutions uh, involved in technology and motorsport.
1: Yeah. And I'm buying into it. I tell you what, uh, you are a very, very impressive young man indeed. Um, I'm buying into it. Oh, it's, 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 it's a wonderful vision and it's a, it's, it's a wonderful energy that you guys have discovered down there. Uh, when I say energy, I mean, you know, within yourselves to push and to drive this project forward. Uh, We will watch with interest, Hayden. Um, As I say, I'm very, very impressed. You've you've developed a site to you which which I haven't seen in the past. You've almost become a statesman, a statesman, almost uh, (laughs) an evangelical statesman for for the EV, and and it's working. It's working because I've bought it. Um, Hayden Padden, it's been a joy talking to you. It really has. It's been a joy, and and we will follow with interest, and we will catch up with you, I'm sure, on a very regular basis just to – to follow your progress down there but uh, the, the best of luck appreciate the it absolute best yeah. of luck with everything Thanks you're call. doing it's a great thank job thank you and Thanks, we'll see you back on the WRC event soon Dr. David Richards who as you all know has been instrumental in shaping the way that rallying looks these days as head of ProDrive now also head of Motorsport UK David Richards
3: Perhaps it is time to sort of have a clean sweep where the same people are running the series and running the events that have been running it for a long time. We need fresh blood. We need new youngsters to come in and say, come on, what have we got to do differently? How are we going to reinvent this? How are we going to resurrect this? And you know what? It might never be the same again. And we have to face up to that fact. I look back on those wonderful years that I was competing and I look at the crowds, the enthusiasm that we had then. I would love to go back to those days. But those days are gone forever and we've got to think differently now.
1: David, you wouldn't be afraid of changing how rallying looks going forward. In fact, it sounds like you're advocating we need to do that.
3: Well, I haven't got the answer. All I'm suggesting is we should take a very open view of it. We should not be prejudiced by our views of the past. As much as we would love to go back to the past, sometimes that's not possible. And, you know, people of my age tend to think that you can somehow recreate the past. But I'm a great believer in youth. And listening to youth, listening to new ideas and creating new ideas and to my mind that's what the British Championship needs and that's what the World Championship needs. I think our sport sometimes is far too set in its ways isn't it you know it's it's this way because it's always been this way yeah Yeah.
1: we have an older fan base in our sports and whenever you do propose change Mm -hmm. it comes down on your head of course should we ignore that
3: well you know there's the anomaly the older fan base just are trying to recreate the past all the time. And we're not getting the youngsters to come on board. And that's what we need to be appealing to. We need to be appealing to the youngsters who are just sort of starting off on sort of, you know, if I was to ask sort of, you know, a load of school are at school, what would they want to be doing in the future? My biggest concern was they'd have no interest in motorsport at all. They would feel it was the wrong thing, because the environmental issues that we're not addressing, the climatic issues, they would be saying, no, you, you don't want to be doing that sort of thing. We've got to be doing something else. And uh, so we've got to address that as a fundamental problem, as a starting point. And then what direction in motorsport we take people, electric racing, sort of hybrid racing, and sort of all sorts of different solutions for the long term.
1: You talk about youngsters and, and a younger generation needing to, to grasp the metal, if you like. Are you following closely what Hayden Padden and his very, very young team are doing in New Zealand? Because they, in some ways, and and quite strangely, seem to be forging a path that the bigger teams, the bigger manufacturers just haven't been able to follow, or aren't aren't as yet in a place to do.
3: Yeah, I've I've seen the electric vehicle they've produced, and I haven't seen exactly how it performs and how it would fit within the the current format of rallying but there's the very point for you if we're to accommodate that type of car people have always said well you know it'd be nice to have electric cars but we can't because they can't compete on the rallies because you know you've got to do 200 miles before you can recharge and all the rest of it. but perhaps we've got to change the rallies to allow these things to compete perhaps we've got to turn the whole thing on its head now and start to think outside the box
1: Well, it's always good to catch up with people in rallying who have opinions and strong, well-founded opinions. And certainly over the past couple of decades, a person that well fits that bill is Gerard Quinn. Now, a lot of you will remember Gerard as head of motorsport for Ford of Europe. He was an ever-present figure in the service park for almost a couple of decades. But Gerard, it is lovely to have you with us today on our podcast podcast. Enjoying your retirement?
0: Uh, yes, thanks, Colin. First of all, thanks for, for uh, having me uh, on your program. Um, and it, retirement, uh, yes, it's kind of a strange retirement because um, I didn't get very long to enjoy it with uh, COVID and lockdown and um, all of the things I had planned to do. But, you know, the good thing is that it's allowed me to do um voluntary work in my own community with the elderly so it's it's time that I'm putting to good use and and it's quite satisfying while putting something back into into the community for the the area that I uh, live in. That's fantastic
1: to hear Gerard and you're still a young man so um you know uh, maybe a little bit too early to talk about these things but I'm assuming that there is still very much work to be done for yourself in, in terms of motorsport.
0: Yes, uh, uh, I mean, I would like to think that at some point in the future, um, depending on who'll have me, that I will <laughs> get back into uh, that. I will get back into motorsport so that I can. Uh, if you like, have a, a second bite of the cherry with a, a career in, in motorsport. And one of the things that I'm passionate about and always have been passionate about is making opportunities available for, for other people in, in the sport and, and making the sport more accessible to future generations because that's how we will uh, accomplish keeping the sport sustainable.
1: How do we go about realistically, Gerard, tackling those issues, making the sport more attainable, more affordable, more sustainable for the future, because it has to be sustainable. You know, we have to mm-hmm. have a sport that, that that actually suits modern living, suits modern requirements, suits the modern environmental issues that we're all going to be faced with. Um, by the sound of things, you know, we're talking maybe a root and branch review of, of what rallying's all about.
0: Yeah, and, and one of the things that I'm always conscious of is is not falling into... Uh, you know this this sort of uh, romanticized um, version of of rally and what rally used to be like you know rally has at its very heart it's a technology-based sport it's all about um, you know the the not just the driver and the co-driver it's a team sport it's about uh, moving technology forward so if And I'm not talking about staying firmly in the past and having these romantic ideas about what it used to be like in the old days, far from it. I think the sport can still be more now than ever with uh, access to, um, you, you know, more affordable materials, more affordable product, more affordable technology, that there should be a way to make the sport affordable, accessible. And, you know, one outstanding example one in my opinion one benchmark example where through collaboration of manufacturer governing body teams participants in the sport you know the r5 category with a benchmark um you know in terms of what 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 the category was the benchmark category a price cap making it a, a category that was affordable and and you know I use the word a lot, it's relative in terms of what people can afford, but if you think today, if you buy uh, an R5, it may not be affordable to the guy next to you, but in two years' time, that will be his aspiration to buy that car when you sell it on, Mm. and that's what we have seen happening in R5, and, and I firmly believe the category has been successful because of that. Wow, I, the sad I, thing is that it's a standalone category yeah. where you know the the categories below and above the delta to go from R five to to WRC is immense. So yeah. the step for the driver who has become successful in that category to the next level is too big. It's yeah. too great, yeah. and and for me that that's what needs to be addressed. You know we have um when i say we the the, the collaboration that i uh, i mentioned earlier made that category successful and there is nothing to say that it cannot be done in the other categories if people are determined to make it sustainable and affordable
1: yeah and i do, i do like the point you make about affordability it is all completely relative and and affordability means that you know that drivers you know in the very basic sense of affordability they need to be able to buy the kit they need to, to be able to run it but they also be able, need to be able to show value to their sponsors to the people that are backing them uh, and that i suppose is a slightly different a slightly different tact um but you you're, you're, you're quite right about the, the the gaps and the jumps that need to be taken now what we're seeing though in particular Gerard, with, with ford and with M Sport, and this new r3 or rally 3 category that we're talking about the the gap between the two-wheel drive and the R5 car has been breached. You know they, they've come up with this 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 wonderful formula, which is the effectively what was an old R2 car four-wheel drive, at the same kind of price point as a, a decent Group N car would have been back in the day. But but that gets that gets our youngsters into the R5 class, which is a great learning ground. There's no question about that. That gap, as you mentioned, between R5 and WRC, it was always big. It was always a challenge. It was always going to be difficult for drivers to make that, that move, unless they were the exceptional talents, the OJs, the Tanaks of this world, the Elvin Evanses of this world. But what do we do there? Because that gap seems to just get bigger and bigger. Each new set of regulations, Gerard, pushes that top category further away from our privateers. I mean... You know, this this ludicrous situation we have now where it appears that our top category is purely for manufacturer entries, it, it, it's not a healthy situation. It's not a healthy situation for the sport. Um, how do we breach that, that enormous gap between R5, and, or Rally 2, as we're going to start calling it, and Rally 1? Do we have to look at a whole new set of regulations, perhaps, for Rally 1?
0: Yeah, I mean... You need to peel back and, and be honest about what is driving these regulations. You know, I think if I look at the re- regulations as they stand and what I know of the 2022 regulations, um, why does it have to be so expensive? Um, you know, not something that is desired by manufacturers, because today manufacturers are, you know, it's a, it's a consumer driven business. And it's a very competitive business. And you put something into the marketplace that gives value to the consumers, that is relevant to the consumers, that is the latest technology, because everybody wants, you know, lowest emissions, best in class, all all of these criteria. Now, are the regulations aligned to that philosophy? In my opinion, I don't think they are. When you consider that a WRC car today you know, rumored to cost between €800,000 and over a million, uh, going to a new car, one point two, maybe more. If you look at the development costs going, you know, into double-digit millions of euros, it's absolutely ridiculous because the automotive industry is going in the opposite direction. When you consider anti-lock brakes, heated front screen, all of the, these uh, technologies that were um, options a number of years ago, air conditioning, um, a lot of the electronic gizmos that were in cars, you know, reverse parking sensors, all of these things that were available as options a number of years ago come as standard now. And they come as standard at a lower price than they were maybe two, three, five years ago. But the sport is sending out a completely different message that says every time we do a new set of regulations, every time we do new changes to the formula, it gets more expensive. And that is not aligned with what most manufacturers are doing and what they offer consumers.
1: That's a very interesting way of looking at it, Giles. Do you know what? This is the real benefit of talking to someone like yourself. You know, um, you you are the link between the marketing, the sporting side of things, which, you know, we, we all enjoy. Uh, the, the sports side of it, and a lot of us forget that the only reason that top-level motorsport there is, is is around is to support marketing, which ultimately is there to support consumer sales. And you, you, you are that link. You spent your career, I suppose, having to work out that connection, how you how you find value in motorsport, and how it then translates into consumer sales. And 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 if we don't have that link, if we don't see that connection. The future looks a little bit dodgy.
0: Well, you know, I've spent my my career in Ford, um, certainly my motorsport career in Ford. Um, You have to balance what you're doing because you have the responsibility of spending somebody else's money. Um, You have shareholders to think about. Uh, you have profitability is always at the forefront of, of what you do in any business. And of course, when you are in motorsport, it is a cost to the company. So how do you build a compelling business case that allows you to spend money on something that, you know, you have to prove that there is a viable business case and that there is a value return? But what I have seen in the past number of years is that that return from motorsport is diminishing quite rapidly over time and therefore the compelling business case becomes much harder to sell for people like myself and who will whoever has taken over for me within Ford and you know with Hyundai and Toyota the same it makes that job much more difficult because there are other sports out there now that are more appealing there are other Initiatives that manufacturers will find more appealing to get the message across to a much broader consumer base, uh to, to make their brand more exciting by being associated with that sport. Yeah. And you know, mm-hmm. you know, it it it's very difficult to fall into the trap of spending the manufacturer's money on the sport because you like the sport. I, I think what keeps you um focused on what you're doing is the value that you get from the sport, but equally what you put into the sport and the spectacle you create. So Gerard,
1: tell us what you, what you envisage, uh, the, the boardroom, the discussions within the marketing, the brand departments just now, you know, in terms of the 2022 regulations and in terms of you know, the, the environment that we're all going to emerge into, hopefully, middle of next year, things will start to settle down. But it'll be a different environment, a different environment from the one that we envisaged two years ago when we were, if you like, formulating these new ideas, these new, not the new ideas, sorry, the new regulations. How do you think these new regulations will be received by by the marketing bods in the various car departments around the world?
0: I, I can only talk from from personal experience and, and my own oh opinion formed you know before i left um, before i left ford and obviously i keep very much in touch with what's going on in in rallying uh, up to this day but you know the, the the one thing that did strike me was that these regulations have been pulled together without uh very little consultation on the marketing side uh very little consumer based data uh very little um in terms of input about what is coming in the years ahead i mean most consumers now are very astute because before they make that purchase decision they are well equipped with the information they require to make the right decision about the product they're going to buy in this case uh, a a car Um, and those decisions are based on uh, cost of ownership emissions you know, here in Ireland, where I'm living, um, there are very stringent um, uh, regulations coming with regard to emissions, and that is bound by our, our taxation laws, which will make it, you know, it, focus, it focuses people's minds on how much the car is going to cost, how much it's going to cost to run, but also what are the penalties if they select the car with the wrong emissions and that that is happening all all around the world now just recently we saw fossil fuels um are going to be banned in in the UK in terms of powering vehicles from i think 2030 onwards so you know the step i think that's been made in the regulations for 2022 for WRC while well, it's it's nice i think it's it's a little bit of a weak sound bite by now I think it's paying lip service to this whole environmental um, a- approach from the sport. Um, the, the bigger step, which is unpopular, which I know people don't like, but, I, you know, I am a petrol head, but I have to face up to reality that in maybe 10 years time, I won't be able to drive around in the car that I'm driving in today and it will either be hybrid or it will most likely be electrified in some way. But to link that to what is happening with the regulations, I think the hybridization that is coming to WRC is only paying lip service because it's ticking a box, which is short lived. Yeah. And all of that development money that has gone in to make that step as a huge amount of development money, if we take Ford alone, um, it is not going to accomplish what people believe it will by making the sport look clean. Because if you look at the cost of WRC in terms of environmental impact, what about all the seats on planes? What about all of the generators working in the service park from Wednesday through till Sunday night for TVs, for, for the broadcast, for everything that needs to be done in the service park, all of the personnel that need to be moved? The carbon footprint goes much further than the cars that are competing. And there needs to be a a, a holistic approach to it. And I think, you know, the the part of the sport that people see are the cars that are on the stages. But I think by the time 2022 comes, it'll be irrelevant because most people are driving hybrid cars today or a higher percentage every year, every month. The numbers of, of hybrid and electric vehicles is increasing. So it will become commonplace by 2022 and it will have little relevance in comparison with what people think it would have been when they were doing the regulations.
1: I agree with you. I agree with you, Jared. Do you you know when Toyota introduced their first full production hybrid? Do you know what
0: year it was? I, I... I honestly don't know what year it was, but I know they haven't produced a diesel engine for two years.
1: Well, I'll tell you, the hybrid, in terms of when they first introduced hybrid, when hybrid was new technology to Toyota, and they were the world's first manufacturer to produce a uh, production line hybrid, 1997, 23 years ago. 23 years ago, Gerard. Hmm. That's astonishing.
0: I've said this already, and I, I... my observation is: I think when people think hybrid, they think Toyota. Yeah, of course they do. That, that's
1: a big problem. That's a, they think Toyota Prius. You know, an awful lot and, of people. And
0: yeah. uh, you know, we—it was the butt of many jokes in the past, but it, it, it's part of people's lives now. Mm. And you know, the the other thing that that concerns me about the regulations, you know, the message is going out to people that. The change in the regulations is around uh, hybrid, it's about environment, it's about the, the environmental impact of the sport, and I think that's only part of the story because there are a number of elements to the regulations that people need to be made aware of. The, 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 one of the fundamental parts is that the cars that are being used today are derived from a production-based vehicle. So if you look at the Fiesta, it comes off the assembly line in Cologne, sorry, it comes off the body framing in Cologne. It is a, a steel body that is the same as any other Fiesta before it gets shipped to M Sport. It is the same size as the Fiesta that you have sitting on your drive before M Sport apply all of the carbon panels and so on. So for all intents and purposes, the chassis that forms the basis for the rally car is a Ford Fiesta. It has relevance. It has this uh, connection to the product. From twenty twenty two onwards, that will not be the case. The car will have a carbon top, and it will be scaled to the same size as the other cars that it will compete against. So all the cars dimensionally will be the same. So it may mean that one car will get will increase in size slightly in certain areas, and other cars may decrease slightly in in other areas so that they all fit in within the same box, if you like, dimensionally. So you will have a carbon tub uh, vehicle, you will have um, um, the scaling of size. So essentially you will have something akin to NASCAR on rally stages powered by uh, an internal combustion engine which switches to hybrid when it comes off the stages. So not really, in my opinion, giving an authentic story in terms of what rallying has always been, which is essentially a converted road car on the stages.
1: I, I think this is a point that perhaps is is uh, being slightly lost in the, the discussions about hybrid and whether we're going far enough with hybrid. You're quite right. You know, we we are losing this this DNA, this this essential part of rallying's DNA, which is, you know, it is Uh, essentially road cars that are then adapted for rally stages um it'll be interesting i'm i'm not listen i i I, you know i'm relatively new to the sport only got involved in 2002 as a sponsor um you know but but i can see i can see the traditionalists concerns about space frames I, i don't have such enormous concerns as yet As long as it still looks like a Fiesta, as long as it still looks like, you know, that might be just taking things a little bit basic, Gerard. I don't know. But if it looks like a Fiesta, I'm happy to think it is a Fiesta. If it looks like an I-20, I'm happy to think that is an I-20 on the stages. Maybe that's not enough. I don't know. But, but, let's talk a little bit, Gerard, about, you know, where we're going. You know, these 2022 rules and regulations will more than likely be what would they normally be, a three-year, four-year? Lifespan for those rules, it would have to be to justify the investment. I guess.
0: I think five years.
1: Uh, five my, years. Five years my takes understanding
0: us. Is, wow. Yeah, so the homologation period would be would be five years from from what I can recall.
1: Five years takes us to twenty twenty seven. Uh, three mm-hmm. as you have already mentioned. Three years later, any new car sold in the UK, and you know what the UK is normally behind just about every other market in the world. Uh, but you know if we're saying twenty thirty is the the cut-off date for normal combustion engines and the introduction of alternative propulsion for the UK, then it's more than likely that'll be the same across many other countries. So effectively, effectively, these new regulations take us to 2027 with three years to come up with something that is completely different. For me, that's crazy. When we know that that's on on the horizon and we know that when we look in particular to what well, you'd have to say Manfred Stoll is doing in Europe, but maybe more relevantly what Hayden Patton is doing on the other side of the world. You know, the, 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 these, these, these options are there. They are there. And why are we waiting potentially till 2027 to give them a little bit more credibility?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is the, this is the issue I have. I think um, the stopgap regulations, as I, as I would refer them to, refer to them as you know for 2022 is essentially money you're spending that you're going to have to spend again probably to you know maybe two years after those regulations have been introduced yeah. to get ahead of the game for making the sport relevant because you know the regulation introduction in 2022 is not going to solve world hunger far from it it just brings us up to the point where we should be now, yeah. you know, yeah. these regulations should be now. Yep. So the next step is to go to, because if you consider that when those regulations are brought in in 2022, how much of that hybridization is actually going to be put under, under scrutiny in terms of competition. If it's only used in a service park, if it's only used for driving through towns, from a manufacturer perspective, from a marketing perspective, that is not really going to be something that you can um, endear yourself to consumers with. You know, if consumers see an authentic story that they see it on a rally stage and they think, oh, I'm quite impressed with how hybridization can be put to such extreme use, that gives you an authentic story to, to, to tell. If it's Ticking an environmental box, then I think we're falling well short of where we need to be in 2022.
1: I agree, and and do you know what, uh, you know, I've I banged this drum a, a little bit too long now, and it's a drum that's that's unfortunately muffled. No one hears it. <laughs> Not that I expect anyone to hear me anyway. Um, but we're we're completely missing a trick here. We we really are. Um, you know, rallying, we're rallying thrives from a manufacturer point of view is exactly what you've just said it's it's about you know uh testing new technologies proving new technologies now what we're seeing with Hayden Padden is he's doing exactly that you know with the the, the, uh, electrification is is a really hot topic right now and there are many issues around it you know in terms of road cars one is the cost one is uh, another is the the uh uh, the, the durability of the battery, the battery power, how many kilometres you can get out of a charge. The other is how how these batteries will work in extreme conditions, you know. It's all well and good saying uh, in Central Europe we're, we're, we're designing this car, this this battery-powered car, electric-powered car, to work in Central Europe. Yeah, but how is it going to work up in northern Sweden when it gets down to minus 30, 40 degrees? How is it going to work in outback Australia where it gets to plus 40, 50 degrees Well, you know, we don't know the answers to those, but what rallying potentially can do, it can give us the answers to those issues. And it can redefine the relevance that you have quite rightly said, Gerard, is beginning to slip in rallying. It's beginning to slip. But we have that opportunity and we are missing out. We are missing that opportunity because there is a belligerence to stick with this hybrid, which proves nothing, unfortunately. Now, I, you know, this will get me into trouble probably, but to me, hybrid proves nothing in motorsport. It proves nothing. You know, it is, it is purely that tick, box, that tick box exercise. We need to get back to a situation where rallying defines itself as being a testing, a proving ground, an aspirational testing and proving ground where people look at what we're doing going, wow, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that that electric car can do 400 kilometers on one charge That same electric car can go from Sweden to Australia and can still compete. There is the opportunity for us, and there is the opportunity for us to say to new manufacturers, get on board, get on board and come and get a little Mm -hmm. bit of this. But what we're doing with these new regulations is we're saying, yeah, we might do that, but not until 2027, when everyone else will have charged past us on the outside and will be on the horizon and way ahead of us. It's a scary situation, and it does worry me.
0: And 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 you've you've summed up my my concern. And I know I've taken a lot of flak because people obviously have associated me with, you know, traditional rallying. I I, I oversaw the the change from two liter to one point six. Uh, you know, f- uh, scaling down engine sizes and so on. And that you know that was something that was highly successful. And you know I, I'm quite proud of the fact that we we made those changes that were, you know, technologically they were quite advanced at the time because uh, smaller smaller engines higher output um and people were saying well actually it's not going to work as you know 2 liter is the way to go 1.6 anyway you know it is what it is today um but if if we're spending all of this money on development it's a lot of money to be spending for a very small step that pays lip service to this um, environmental issue that is recognized by the sport you know at the end of the day i i'm i do not know what data was used to make the decision but certainly it is not something that will hold weight with consumers from 2022 and beyond mm-hmm. because people are whether we like it or not whether i'm a traditionalist You know, we have to face up to the fact at the end of the day that if the sport wants to make an impact on the environment, if the sport wants to continue in a sustainable way with manufacturers bringing money to the sport, then it has to be relevant. It has to be authentic and it has to be compelling in the eyes of the consumers. And I don't believe that this step is going far enough to accomplish that.
1: Gerard, you know what? That is where we're going to leave this. I could talk to you for hours and we will pick this up again because we've really not even touched on what I really wanted to pick your brains on, which was, you know, how our sport is going to look in 10 or 15 years time. We 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 did slightly touch on it. Uh, but, you know, I think there's an awful lot more we can discuss. Um,
0: Apologies. You, that's that's probably my, no. my passion for the sport is still oh, is I, still uh, as good as ever. Oh, that that absolutely burns
1: brightly, Gerard. I tell you now. Um, <laughs> and it it is interesting because you know I like to think <laughs> that I have a slightly different view of the media in rallying because I've seen both sides of the media. You know, I was uh, in my introduction to rallying. I was involved in getting value out of rallying. We sponsored the Subaru World Rally team, and we spent many millions each year doing that, and I had to look at how we got value. I now see the other side of the media. I think what's great about you, Jared, is you, you see you see rallying from very different perspectives. You know, you see it from the fan perspective, and I, and I know that you're heavily involved with your local motoring club. You go out, you do the marshalling. You get out there, and you do the legwork. But you've also been involved from, uh, you know, in, in terms of the manufacturer side, budgetary side, you know, defining the way that 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 ford effectively uses rallying and it you know we we need to listen to people like you we really do because it's so important to get balanced views and not just one-sided views of any issue that involves rallying you know you need to have balanced views and you need to have this discussion you need to have this debate um and I, you know at times i feel sometimes, sometimes I feel it's a wee bit of a dictatorship and and we don't get that balanced view and balanced debate, so we'll we'll be talking to you a lot more, Jar, don't you worry about it, okay <laughs> Gerard's quite, no, that didn't sound too enthusiastic, but hey i'm sure I'm sure you will be back talking to us no, in the future I, I
0: mean look, look colin i I think it's important for people to know that i i um, I've been in the sport a long time and it may seem that I'm, I'm selling out to this whole idea of, you know, what, um, the, the sport will look like in the future, but unless we take, um, a responsible approach to our environment, then there there is going to be no rallying anyway. So if we are, more progressive in what we do now to preserve the sport and do it in the right way, uh, it, it may be a bitter pill to swallow, but you know what? If it keeps the sport sustainable, then we've accomplished something not only for the sport, but for the world we live in. Perfect.
1: Perfect, Gerard. We will pick up at some point in the not-too-distant future on those further thoughts. Gerard Quinn, as always, uh, we've taken up quite a lot of your uh, precious time this morning, but as always, a joy to talk to you. Thank you very much for your thoughts.
0: Colin, thank you. Have a good day.